Well, in case you're new with us, we've been over the last eight or so weeks going through the book of Acts in, in kind of an interesting way. I think it's interesting. It was kind of our idea, wasn't it? If we don't think, it, if we don't think it's interesting, then there's no hope for you. Um, we, we think it's very interesting. And, very interesting. And, and what we've been doing was we, we've chosen four, uh, four men in the book of Acts that were, that were God's ministers, and we're looking at, at their, each individual identity as, as ministers. We're looking at their message that they each had. We're looking at their mission, and we're looking at their method. And we began with the Apostle Peter, and last week we, we moved on to the Apostle Paul. And last week we talked about the Apostle Paul's his, his mission. And we talked about how important it is to have an intentional mission in your life. That it's not something that you can just leave to chance to just see whatever happens, you know, will happen. Because each of us has a message in our life that we preach with the way that we live and what we say. And each of us has a mission that we, that we are on in our life, whether we realize it or not. Well, today, Pastor Mike is going to come and he's going to share with us about the method of Paul. See, when Paul went out to do ministry, he didn't just sort of, you know, throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and see whatever sticks. He had, he had a plan. He had a method to it, the way that God was using him. And as we see what his method is, you know, our, our goal would be that we would be inspired. Now, Paul's method is different than Peter's method, and it'll be different than the other methods that we'll be studying later as well. And that's okay. I think that's a good thing, because God has a different a different way for each of us to do ministry. And what's important is that we're following where he leads us. So as we study the method of Paul today, <clears throat> I know, because I've heard this sermon already three times, um, that we're going to be blessed by it and that our own understanding of what our method as individuals and as a church is going to be impacted and is going to be blessed. So would you pray with me as we move into the time of, of God's word and of the message this morning. Lord God, we are grateful and thankful for who you are, and for what you are doing in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for the ministry that we see in the early church, God, that we see in men like Peter and in men like Paul who did so many amazing things because they were empowered by your Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for their message that they have been given, and we thank you, Lord, for the mission and, Lord, for the method. God, we ask that we would learn from that, Lord. We thank you for what you are doing in this church. Lord, we do pray for those among us who are hurting. We pray for those who are, have been sick or dealing with tragedy. Lord, those who have been in hospitals or at home, Lord, who have needed to be taken care of. God, we ask that your spirit would flow through us to them. God, we pray for uh, those who are lost in this world. Those who are estranged from you. Those who need to know that there is hope in life and that is found in you. God, our prayer would be today that your voice would speak loud and clear to them. God, as Mike comes today, Lord, may he be used by you. May your spirit flow through him. And God, we pray that our hearts would be touched by that today. Because, Lord, we know that none of this is happening by accident, Lord, but that you have chosen to use us to spread your kingdom. So Lord, be glorified today. Bless Mike as he comes to share your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Say one uh, piece of celebration that I wanted to uh, mention. Uh, 
at this service, uh, we've been doing this ministry with Albernet and Prairie Chapel, which has been, I hope, a huge blessing to them and a, and, and a good blessing to us as they've, you know, reeled at the loss of their pastor. Um, but last week, um, and this is a piece of good news, uh, a new pastor was appointed uh, to Albernet and Prairie Chapel, and he's no stranger to us. Uh, on July 1st, John Moss, who for a long time served with us, will become the pastor at Albernet and Prairie Chapel. So that's really good news. So yeah, exciting, very exciting, very exciting. So, and I think he'll do. I think he'll do a great job out there. We've really gotten to know those those churches in uh, various ministries, not only uh, Sunday morning, but doing some weddings and some other stuff for him. So uh, we're enjoying it. It was. Uh, this kid, you know, a young guy, not a, not a kid, but a young guy sitting on a shipping crate right on the edge of the dock at the plant there. And that was the day that the big boss decided to take a tour of the, of the plant. And he came down there, you know, this suit, and he sees this kid sitting on this packing crate. And he says, you know, he's not doing anything. He said, what are you doing? He's like, oh, not really anything. And uh, he said, uh, well, how much do you make a week? It's $250. And so the big boss storms into the manager's office and says, listen, you go out and pay that kid $250 and get him out of here. And so the manager kind of looked at the boss and said, okay, and he went out and paid him the $250. And he said, as soon as you're done with that, get up to my office. So he comes up to the big boss's office. The manager comes up to the big boss's office, and the boss says, uh, hey, I need to talk to you about that kid. He's, and the manager says, yeah, I understand there was a problem. He says, well... What's he supposed to be doing? And the guy says, I have no idea. He doesn't work for us. He's just there to pick up a package. You know, we make assumptions sometimes, right? We make assumptions, and sometimes our assumptions are right, and sometimes they're wrong. Now, Keith and I have been talking about Acts and the ministers in Acts for the last eight weeks, and we want to make sure your assumptions are right. Because if you assume that we came along over the last eight weeks to share with you some really good tips on living and give you some management ideas, your assumptions are mistaken. But if you assume that this series is all about connecting the ministries of our forebearers, our forefathers in the faith, to our situation and to our opportunities, then your assumptions are correct. Because each one of these men have a very different message. They have a very different ministry. They have a very different mission. And, of course, therefore, they have a very different method of going about it. And just because we have different methods doesn't necessarily mean that we're not endeavoring to do the same thing. Last week, uh, some of us were at the Iowa Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. And we saw their presentation along many of other presentations. There was a presentation from a church called Council Bluffs Broadway they're on Broadway Street, they're in uh, Council Bluffs, and their presentation was about all this really cool stuff they're doing in ministry for kids, and how they have all these kids in their building after school, and how they're helping kids learn how to read English, and all this kind of stuff, and it's this amazing ministry. And I listened to that, and I said, that is so awesome, and it's nothing like what we do. You know, we do Marion Cares, we do Fly, we do 412, we do all kinds of these things. And yet these ministries are so different in methodology. But the message, bring students to Christ, is the same. So see, we don't have to be exactly the same. Because just as these men, Paul, Peter, Philip, and Stephen, desire to build a Christ-centered people, whose most important relationship, their most important relationship, 
is a relationship with the living Lord. And every single one of them desired to, to encourage the people of their day and our day to be willing to, to risk everything in their lives for him. Still, their methods are going to be very different. Now, because these men's method of advancing the kingdom is different, um, we're going to take a minute as we look towards their ultimate goal to kind of look at their different methods. First, let's take a look at what Peter did. Peter we talked about several weeks ago. and Peter did, had three pieces to his method. First, make yourself available for Christ. Now, if you can't imagine this, just imagine yourself as an empty container. Just an absolute empty container. And you allow the Holy Spirit to come in and fill you. That's how you make yourself available for Christ. Filled with the Holy Spirit, then you do the second thing, which is to speak Christ, uh, or look straight into the, to the world's need, whatever it is and where you're at, and thirdly, to offer them Christ. That's the method of Peter the Apostle, and it's a good method. It's different than Paul's method, but it's a good method. So let's take a look at Peter's method. The first thing in Peter's method is, and there are a number of, or in Paul's method, there's a number of different things. Is Number one is never go alone. Never go alone. Take a look at a few words of Scripture. Acts chapter 13, 1 through 5. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord, And fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them sent them on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia, and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues, and John was their helper. See, the point of that is, Paul believed in teamwork. If you've ever looked at the back of your Bibles and seen those maps of, of Paul's missionary journeys, or if you've ever been in a classroom and seen, you know, mis- there's all these missionary journeys, how Paul went around the Mediterranean, he went to all these kind of places. Here's the thing. He never went alone. He, he, he always went with a companion. I mean, it wasn't like he was P. Diddy and had this entourage with him. But he always had people with him. He had helpers like Barnabas and Silas and all these people because Paul knew a couple of different things about how we're never to go alone. First, there's safety in numbers. There's absolute safety in numbers. This is a little participation drill. How many of you somewhere along in your life have swam somewhere where there was a beach, like, a, like an ocean, a sand pit, a lake? Just raise your hand if you've ever done that. I want to see who I'm talking to, okay? Good. I can explain a lot less then. Good. Okay. Last time I went to a place like that, I was just a kid, you know, probably on some family outing because my brother was there, and they slapped these rubber bracelets on us. And my bracelet had a number on it. And his bracelet had the same number on it. You know, I grew up in the Marion Pool. We didn't do this kind of thing. So I'm like, what is this? And they're like, it's your buddy band. I'm like, what? Well, here's what happened. You know, every half hour or so, the high school and college age lifeguards would take a few minutes off of looking at each other as they tanned uh, themselves. And they'd blow a whistle. And you'd have to run to your buddy and hold your hands up in the air. And of course, they, again, on that break from looking at each other, would look out in the water to, to make sure that all of us were afloat, that we had our buddy, that we were holding up our buddy. And it kept us safe 
And of course, ultimately later, I realized it also kept control of us because it made us stay close because they could blow that whistle at, at any time. But, but the simple fact of the matter is there's safety in numbers. David Roberts, uh, an author, wrote a book called Sahara along with some of his other books. In the book Sahara, he tells the story of a caravan going across the Persian desert. And in the middle of the Persian desert one night as the caravan's all camped out, it comes to pass that people realize they're missing some stuff. There's been some gold stolen. There's been some uh, spices stolen. There's been some liqueurs stolen. There's been some blankets stolen. And that's not how you work in a caravan. And they find the criminal. And rather than shackling him up and tying him to a, to a camel or uh, holding him for some court, what they do is they take everything that he has away from him and send him out in the desert alone. You see, because nothing is more terrifying, nothing is a greater punishment than to have to go in the desert alone, to go it alone. And isn't that the same true for life? Is nothing more difficult? Is there anything more difficult than having to go life alone? Now, I'm not talking about within a marriage covenant or something like that. I'm talking about having no partners, no companions on the life, uh, on your life journey. I mean, obviously, we, we, we have those, those kind, of, kind of things because nothing is more difficult than needing to go life alone. It's a based human fear. And the second thing about Paul's talking about um, never going alone is that there's encouragement in numbers. A number of years ago, my daughters and I and my spouse were out in Colorado Springs, and we went to the Olympic Training Center. And there was this really young, fit guy, and he had that, you know, the sole patch and then even more down here. Handsome-looking dude, looked like he was from California. And this is what he was doing. He had a harness on him. Tied to the harness was a rope. At the end of the rope was a little red wagon, you know, like, Little red wagon you have when you were growing up. And inside the wagon was a kid, a, a guy, another guy his age, but in size, about 160 pounds. And here's what he was doing. He was like this. And he'd go like this. And he's pulling that wagon up this hill. I've got to tell you, it's important in the story. This is Apollo Ono doing this. Okay? Ever heard of him? Okay? Eight-time Olympic medalist. He's learning how to get these legs strengthened. But here's the thing. In that wagon could have been two tractor weights. Tractor weight would have been just as heavy as this 160-pound guy. But here's what a tractor weight couldn't have done. Keep going. Come on. Work harder. You're getting stronger. Come on. Come on. All this encouragement along the way. And when Apollo Ono got up to the top of the hill, you know what they did? They walked back down the hill, put the other kid in the harness, and put Apollo Ono in the wagon. It was all about being, being together. It was all about working it together because there's encouragement in numbers. We know that to be true because when you're out doing the Christian missionary thing, and you know, we're the Christian missionaries here in the world, we understand this simple truth. It's just like these two little girls we had up on here. Those people are, those two little girls are in the same family. But God speaks to them individually and distinctly. God speaks to you and me individually and distinctly as well, uniquely. And then... He puts us together to work the task of ministry. He puts us together to be minister, ministers and missionaries in the world. He sends us on the same mission in our generation, in the generation we live in, using our very different and distinct personalities, our very different and distinct skills, our very different ways of thinking about things to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And now here's the thing about encouragement, too. I've been in the church a long time. Not just this church, the church a long time. And I want to give you this word about encouragement. 
when things are happening in the church, whether it's something you agree with or don't even feel so perfectly about, I can tell you this for fact. People that are doing something for the sake of Jesus Christ need a lot more helpers than they do hecklers. If you don't agree with something, you can still help with something. And I'll tell you what, this is true too. They need a lot more people praying for them than picking on them. I've seen that way too many times, not just in this church, but in other places where when we disagree with something, we'd rather put it down and go out and coffee at Hy-Vee or wherever it is we drink coffee and talk negatively about what's going on in the church. That helps no one. It grows no one in Jesus Christ. Pray for your church. Help your church. Or don't say anything at all because the Lord needs us to partner with each other and encourage each other. One of the things we found out at annual conference last week is uh, apparently it is statistically true, that 9%, 9% of the people that are Christians have any interest or inclination of ever talking to another person about Jesus. 9%. So when we're doing those things, we need help. I, of course, want to build that percentage up to like 90 or 95% among, among us, but the Lord needs his people to partner and encourage each other. All right, let's move on. The second thing in the method of Paul. When you're in Rome, talk to the Romans. Connect with the Romans. Find some sort of connection, something that your audience already knows about. When Paul's in Jerusalem, he talks to the Jews about their scriptures. When he's in Greece, he talks to them about the stuff that they have. Look at Acts chapter 17, verse 23, 22 and 23. Paul stood up at the meeting of the Areopagus. I've said that wrong all three services so far. Areopagus. And set, that's why the King James Version says Mars Hill. I would have liked that better. But he stood up at a meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. See, he's looking at them. Paul is looking to make connections with them. I can see from everything around here that you're very religious. For as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, he's, he's scanning the town, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. See, what Paul did was connect a life-changing message of God to them in a language that they knew and understood. When you're in Rome, talk to people about the things of Rome. I did a funeral not too long ago from one of, for one of your great saints, a great saint of this church. And when we sat in my office and we were consulting about what might happen at the funeral, and I was learning a little bit about a person that I'd known for, you know, a, a decade or so. One of, the, one of the children of this person said, well, you know, Dad just had the ability to build connections to everyone he met. See, that's what we're talking about here. I mean, you've met these guys, right? You ever met a guy who says, uh, oh, you from Iowa? Yeah, I'm from Iowa. Oh, you ever been to Ottoman? Yeah, I've been to Ottoman. You ever heard of Albert the Bull? Yeah, I know. And all of a sudden, you're like best friends forever, you know? And, and we have these people around us that, that, that make connections with us. And part of what we're supposed to do as disciples of Christ is try to make connections with people. So often, we're trying to connect people to us, okay? There's a very big difference here. We sometimes try to connect people to us and the responsibility of a Christian is to connect ourselves to them for the sake of Jesus Christ, is to put ourselves uh, out there. Uh, and Paul was 
incredibly adept at this because, see, one of the things that I hear critiquing the church all the time, you've heard it too, you will hear a lot of people say about the church or we church people, you know, we're here on a Sunday morning when it's 90 degrees out in the middle of summer, so we must be church people to some degree, okay? One of the things that's said about the church is they just try to make us like them. Is that someone won't fit in here unless we make them in our image. Well, that's not the way it's supposed to be. A church is most interesting and most exciting when we have a lot of diversity in here. We have people of all different colors, when we got people that describe themselves differently, when people express themselves differently, do different things. The, 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 the critique of the church must be and should be that they care enough about me to make room for me. Now, Paul was great at this. He'd connect with people and he could connect and share that life-changing message with, with Jesus about Jesus after after he won trust, after he got to know them. And the purpose of our lives must be the same as his, gaining people for Christ. And this is possible only if we know and can truly connect people. Once you know and can truly connect with people, then we can teach them about Christ. Okay, the third thing in Paul's method. Paul was big at multiplying leaders and ministries. Paul's method was to build these strong indigenous churches. He went to Ephesus. He went to Galatia. He went to Colossae. And his goal wasn't to have big revival meetings. His goal was to build strong leaders and build churches and then go somewhere else. Go do his own thing somewhere else doing the same thing. Now, I've known since the moment I walked in here as your pastor that lay ministry is the heart and soul of First United Methodist Church. You know our youth are going on a mission trip this week. Do you know this, Keith? Our youth are going on a mission trip this week and not a single pastor is going with them because we have lay ministers that can do that. We have lay people that know very much about the Lord and can drive these people. Do you know that we have Sunday school classes that there's never a pastor in? Do you know we have all these kind of ministries that are going out there? Usually, I mean, Mac and, and Matt, usually you guys do fly. If you had 300 people, 400 people a day, usually the pastors weren't even on there making sandwiches, were they? Just a bunch of lay people, 30 or so people. And, and so you see, the fact of the matter is what our goal is is, is to, to let the Holy Spirit call you the pastors and leaders will train you as best we can, and then we'll try to stay out of your way. I mean, really. We want ministries here that will outlast any of your hired hands. We want the community to be changed far deeper than just what two men or three uh, leaders can, can do for you. Now, there's always going to be resistance to this. There will be. There will always be resistance to the purpose and the mission of the church because the common denominator of the world is to not do anything. The gravity that keeps me from flying up off this stage and slapping into that ceiling up there is kind of mentally and emotionally what draws the whole world down. It's not, it's not gravity itself, but it's the gravity of the human spirit that wants to fly, but is constantly drugged down. Let me give you what I'm saying. C.S. Lewis wrote a number of books. One of them is called The Screwtape Letters. And in the screw tape letters, what's going on there is there's a senior tempter and a junior tempter. And the junior tempter is supposed to learn how to take people like us away from God. Okay? And the number one temptation that the senior tempter gives to him, he says, you don't have to do anything great, just make them do nothing. Because if you can make them do nothing, we win. A Christian doing nothing is an element of Satan's army. You make, us do, make them do nothing, 
and they are working against Christ all the time. The temptation to sit back, to say nothing, to do nothing is heavy and hard all of the time because the resistance in the world is so great. There are a lot of people that don't want to know that there's absolute truth. There's a lot of people that don't want to hear that there is a moral compass that should be pointing people towards Christian life and Christian behavior. And so the resistance is great. Look what uh, what Paul found out. In Acts 21, verse 27, it says, When seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the promise of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. Then as now, there were always movements against Christianity. Then as now, there were always people willing to say what Christianity was, whether they knew anything about it or not. Then as now, there were people willing to tell Christians what they are. You can fill in the blanks. You've heard it all on TV. You've heard it on the radio. You've heard it in your break room. You've heard people say, hey, Christians are stupid, judgmental, um, money-grubbing, hypocrites, whatever you want to say. None of those are the words that we'd use to describe ourselves. And they hurt us and pain us, but they also make us defensive a little bit. And I say, take the offensive for Jesus Christ and say, well, you can say that, but you're wrong. Because just because somebody says something about you doesn't make it right. And it certainly doesn't make it holy. Now, this is true. Sometimes the church will disappoint us. You know why? Not because there's some big clandestine plan to hurt you, disappoint you. The church sometimes disappoints us because it's filled with people. And people sometimes disappoint each other. Sometimes we harm each other. Wrong words, wrong things, all that kind of stuff. Some of you here have been disappointed by this church or the other, and first or another. And I'll start by saying this. First, I'm sorry, and then cautiously listen to what I say in love next. Do your very best to let it go and get over it. Because the purpose of the church of Jesus Christ is to not do harm, but to do good. And if mistakenly someone has said the wrong thing, not shown up at the right place or whatever, there was not some clandestine big plan about it. And we cannot forget the big picture. Because the big picture is what Paul's life and ministry remind us of. And this is simply it. And the fourth thing is the message is too important for us to ever give up on. The message, you know, it's not whether or not the girl's bathroom is painted pink or whether or not the hedging across the 8th Avenue curb is is correctly trimmed. The message of Jesus Christ is what is so important, and for that we cannot give up. Look what what happened to Paul in 2 Corinthians. He tells, he kind of does a summary of all the things that have happened in his ministry. He says, five times I received from the Jews, 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with, with rods, and those rods were like an inch thick piece of wood where they, and a big man could get a lot of momentum going with one of those. Once I was stoned, three, you know, usually, you know, being whipped and hit with rods would be enough. Then you throw stoning in there. I was stoned three times. I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in dangers in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled, and I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. 
But this is not some small unimportant task, would say the Apostle Paul. Our work is not about some little thing we're doing around the church. Our task is about the destiny of all humankind. The missionary task to make Jesus known in the world, regardless of opposition, is ours to attend to and to tend to. If we know the Lord, and we all should, the message is far too important to ever give up just because a few some things or some ones or some news story is pushing against us. So let me bring you this home. The method of Paul, I think, is relatively simple. First, never go alone. Now this is the time when you all look at the pastor and the pastor smiles a stage smile. Because I, I smile that smile because that's the innermost thought of my heart. I know I speak for Keith, too, is we could not be more pleased, and we would prefer to be nowhere else than where we are right now in this mission with you right now because we do care about what color the girl's bathroom is, but not nearly a fraction of how much we care about whether or not this community is being reached for Jesus Christ and his ministry in the world. Secondly, when we're in Rome, we desire to connect with the Romans. Let us be clear about this. None of us are wearing these belts in which we notch those people we brought to salvation. It always drives me crazy when someone tells me, well, I got 30 people saved. I'm like, dude, you can't save anybody. Jesus Christ can save people. You can say some words, but you can't bring anybody to salvation because if you are, you should be taking offerings for yourself because that's pretty good, all right? We bring people to Christ for Christ, and our reward is knowing them forever. And we care enough about them to get to know them. Thirdly, we're going to multiply our leaders in ministry always. You bring so much to the table. Your minds, your skills, your discernment, your wisdom. It is so awesome. Last week in our ordination service, as the bishop says every time, the last prayer in the ordination service is he states the name of the one being ordained and then he says, take authority. Take authority. Take authority to be the disciple that you're called to be. Take authority to be the leader that you're called to be. Take authority to be the helper that you're called to be. But take authority because this is a huge thing and you are a minister and a missionary on the task. And lastly, this message, Jesus saves, and that's the message. That message, Jesus saves, is way too big to ever give up. Nothing should be able to do that to us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for uh, these two little girls that come to be baptized. We thank you for uh, worship songs and time together. But most of all, we thank you for Jesus who changed our lives, who makes us who we are. In your name we've come, and now we prepare to go. Amen.